last wrong word. We open up our Bibles this next hour to study the inspired and true Word of God and to see the Word made flesh. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, and if He's there for the world, which means He is your light. The light shines on us in the last verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul continues to pray for the church in Ephesus and shows that Christ's name is above all other names, and he has all rule, authority, power, and dominion in this age and the age to come. Lots of grace, lots of mercy, and of course, lots of Jesus. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. This morning, to help us be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us Dr. Matthew Heisey, Director of Lutheran Heritage Foundation in Macomb, Michigan. Dr. Heisey, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning, and thank you. All I can say is amen to that that beginning there. <laughs> well, that's, let's, let's close up shop. Let's just go and let's go and pray. I don't know. No, we're not done yet. Um, anyways, Dr. Dr. Heisey, it is uh, great to have you on a Friday, and uh, uh, happy Friday to you. Um, you. How was your thank Friday you. going? Well, it, uh, I woke up this morning, and it wasn't minus nine as it was a couple of uh, <laughs> days ago, so... <laughs> Spring is coming, whether Punxsutawney Phil turns out to be a, a true prophet or a false prophet. So, oh, absolutely. It's and it's, am- it's amazing how here in Minnesota, you know, I'm in central Minnesota, that when it's negative five, boy, you feel it. But even when it's five, you feel better. It's a really sad well, I, situation up here, but it is true. I know exactly what you mean. After 15 years of missionary <laughs> service in Russia, I, I noticed the difference between minus 30 and minus 15. Wow, isn't that sad that we know that? But anyways, uh, Dr. Heisey, it is it is a, a great time here because usually this is the moment where I say uh, thanks to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word because Lutheran Heritage Foundation is an underwriter of Thy Strong Word in our program. Uh, but today I don't need to say it to some far-off people. I can say thank you to you as the Executive Director of ALHF. So thank you for your support of this program and the ministry that it does. So thank you. Thank thank you. Thank you very much. I believe this is the first time you've been on Dice Wrong Word, am I correct? It is. It is actually, yes. Wonderful. So here is an opportunity. We have new listeners every day. We found this out my first month that we asked people where they're listening from, and people uh, responded. We had over 50 emails from four different countries. It was Sri Lanka, um, the Philippines, and none from Russia. Maybe there's some people from Russia listening. Uh, maybe you know, write in today if you can. But And then we had um, some in uh, uh, excuse me, Jamaica and Canada and also over 26 different states. And many of them said, I've been listening for a day or a month or a few years. And so this is an opportunity for you to make, can you take a few moments to introduce yourself and, and the work of the saints and the work of around the world with Lutheran Heritage Foundation? Sure, thank you very much. Um, actually, uh, I served as a missionary in Russia, which is one of the reasons why Lutheran Heritage Foundation was founded back in 1992. Uh, Pastor Robert Ron um, founded it along with uh, Dr. Robert Price's assistance uh, mm-hmm. with the express goal to help restore the Lutheran witness to Russia. The Soviet Union had just fallen a year before that. And uh, so they wanted to get back into the country knowing that it had a long Lutheran tradition. Most people aren't aware of the fact that the Lutheran church was uh, the second largest church in all of Russia. I, I kind of know that because my 
German really? ethnic German grandparents were born in Russia and emigrated to uh, the United States shortly before the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917, for which we are eternally grateful, believe me. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, we started there, and uh, our goal basically was to translate, publish, distribute, and introduce Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven books. And uh, mm. so you can imagine Luther's small catechism and large catechism uh, certainly played a large role there. Um, now, by God's grace, we are in 90 countries and over 120 oh languages around the world. And I can just throw this out quick. LHFmissions.org is where you can see a lot more information about what we do and where we are working. That is wonderful. That is 90 countries just starting in Russia. And what are the most... Uh, where do most of the resources go nowadays? Um, is it a well, certain part of the world, or is it kind of yeah, well, well situated? Yeah, if you take into account, right, Philip Jenkins' uh, next Christendom book, which yep. uh, talked about uh, Christianity moving uh, in great, great ways in the southern hemisphere. Africa and Asia is where we do a great deal of work. In fact, this year we have a children's project uh, geared for Indonesia. Uh, we actually have the opportunity to get uh, Christian Bible story books into public schools in Indonesia because Indonesia wants they don't. They really have a dearth of material on uh, Christianity, Islam, and Buddhism. They have plenty, uh, so we were given the opportunity to help provide them with some of those books. And uh, so, uh, as the Hearts for Jesus program in the state of Michigan, LCMS schools. In fact, I was just at St. Lorenz uh, Lutheran there in Frankenmuth a couple days ago. Yeah. We've been yeah. we've been scouring the uh, schools here in Michigan, just sharing that project, and uh, we're getting great support to uh, to share those Bible story books with Indonesia. Indonesian children, many of a Muslim background, the largest Muslim country in the world. Well, just, just imagine that, that here is uh, a simple way to teach in the household, and now you have people who are of Muslim faith being taught it in a simple way <laughs> in, yeah, in their the household idea, of as course, well. You know, what a joy. For the Indonesian government is they want them to be cognizant, to understand what Christianity is, but we know God works through the Word. And we do have Luther's Catechism along with Catechism workbooks in Bahasa and Batak, the two major languages there. So we're working on that and, and getting as many of those books to them as we can. Oh, what a joy. What a joy. For me, it's, it, it, was, it was really fun. A few years ago, I had the honor of sitting with uh, Pastor Ron, uh, the founder, of, the founder, correct, of Lutheran Yeah, he's just right around the corner from me. He's 85 years strong and still going here. Absolutely. He, came, he has, a, he has a, some connection with some of our, our members here. And so it was right before an Advent service, and I spoke with him and, and this family, and he showed me all these things. And I, I was kind of like, wow, this is really happening, because in the Missouri Synod, we have kind of two organizations. You have Lutheran Bible translators, and their goal is to translate the scriptures Correct. into the language. But yours is the catechetical resources to be translated mm -hmm. into the language, correct? Is that kind of exactly. how you make that distinction? Okay. That's, that's exactly what we do. I always tell people that Lutheran Bible Translators does the most important work. They get the Word of God into the languages of the peoples of the world. But uh, like with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, we realize sometimes somebody can be reading that Bible and not know where they're going. And, and certainly Luther's Catechism provides a great guide. From my own missionary experience, I can't tell you how many times I had people say, you know, this really clarifies the scriptures for me in so many ways. So uh, it, that, that's, I think, similar uh, around the world. We'll hear comments from people about that. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you for that um, introduction, and thanks be to God for the work that all of you do. Reminder to our listeners today that, yes, we are all about the Word of God, but also there are resources that are out there that have been written with complete clarity about the whole breadth of Scripture. So as we go through these parts of Ephesians especially, and we get into these chapters, one of the great things for you to look back on is if you have a Luther Small Catechism, to look at that, to look in, in the, obviously, the Catechism, which is very small, but also in the back, which has many references, and see if there's any references in the small Catechism, or large if you want to go all out, and to find out, are there any passages that we cover today? To use both of those, I know when I was a kid, my great uncle Warren, he uh, he had three things in his uh, little apartment, and one of them was a Bible, clearly, and then he had a hymnal, an old TLH, and next to that, he would have a small Catechism. And so this is the breadth of who we are as Christians and really expounds who we are as Lutherans as well. But today, we'll keep moving forward here. We are looking to God's Word. So Dr. Heise, can you ask the Lord's blessings for us today and begin in prayer? Sure. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your Word, your Word which enlightens and opens up our hearts, because we are sinful, we are stubborn, and so we pray your Holy Spirit to be with us as, as we read through the Scriptures, so that we may see the words that you would have us understand and that your Holy Spirit might work in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions for us on the, uh, the concluding verses of Ephesians chapter 1, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or if you're listening to us in Russia, send us an email as well, kfuo at kfuo.org, or Indonesia. I mean, all these different places. If you've been blessed by Lutheran Heritage Foundation around the world, send us an email as well. As we conclude chapter 1 of Ephesians, uh, Dr. Heise, can you give us some um, any background or contextual information that you want to share to help us out? Yeah, I won't, I won't take too much time here because it's, it's great to dig into the text, and I really don't want to focus so much there. I mean, we, we know Paul's in prison when he's writing this. Um, mm-hmm. There are some who claim that uh, he's in Caesarea. Others believe that he's in Rome, where, of course, we have the captivity letters often referred to Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon. Um, so whether it's Caesarea, whether it's Rome, clearly Paul's in prison, and I do want to bring that up a little bit later. And uh, so we're either talking 58 AD, early 60s, if it's Rome. Uh, I think the more important thing here is, who's he writing to? And uh, Clearly, he seems to be writing primarily to Gentiles who have come into the church. And, and so as we look at that, I think we want to get a picture of who the Ephesians were. Um, Paul, as usual, starts out in the synagogues. So you know there's a large uh, Jewish, Jewish population there in Ephesus. Uh, but also we know that the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world, Uh, is actually there. It was the largest building in the Greek world at that time, about four times as large as the the Parthenon. And so Ephesians would see this, they would know this, and they would know, of course, about Artemis, who was referred to as Savior, Lord, Queen of the Cosmos. So here we have a real, uh, I think, contrast as we see whom the world worships, and who Paul says is the name above all names, who is far above even that 225-foot high Temple of Artemis, one of the wonders of the world. 
So I, as he's doing this, I'm, I'm always interested in looking at how Paul interacts with cultures, certainly the way he interacted in Athens. He's not writing in a vacuum. And uh, so reading this, too, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, too, of some of the Asian Buddhist Hindu nations that we work in at LHF and, and how they also see these idols around them. And for those who come to faith, you know, what is Christianity? You know, who is this Jesus? So those are some of the things I kind of think as a background as before we get started here. And that's a great, that's a wonderful background to understand uh, when the people in Ephesus would walk to their home church, you know, to the, where they would go worship, that they might pass this huge thing of Artemis, you know, glorifying that, and a reminder of, well, I know idolatry, and there it is. <laughs> There's no yeah, question mark it, on what's happening Absolutely, here. there it is. You, you see this, and I'm reminded, actually, in Russia, when I... Uh, uh, as a vicar, I would do my Easter sermons up in Tver, just north of Moscow, and uh, uh, I would I would have my picture. The pastor take my picture every every Easter morning, right in front of the statue of Lenin, which towered oh. over the city, and, oh, and just to goodness. kind of say, okay, and 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 he'd kind of smirk and say, yeah, the Russian god. So, well, in the past, <laughs> in the past, in the past, so, yeah, that's yeah, right. So, I mean, those those statues, those images are there in so many different societies, um, and so. It, and it could yeah, be used too, just like you know, they kept his uh, his uh, grave for people to see for a long time. I mean, what an imagery there too of you know, he's still there, but guess what? Our Lord has risen. I mean, I'm just thinking. Yeah. I took Russian history in college a little bit, and sure. that was just one of those things that that they would do. And a reminder for us as we look at all power and glory and honor and dominion and all those things is, yeah, there's a lot of things that really look powerful in the world, but here he is speaking about the power that comes. From Christ. So uh, let's dig into this. We're going to start in verse 11, and uh, we'll do 11 and 12. Reminder to our listeners that we are reading from the English Standard Version. So open up your Bibles, and the gifts are ready for you. 11 and 12. In him we have attained the inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now here, he begins with predestination. We spoke explicitly explicitly about this yesterday with uh, Dr. Winger, who wrote the commentary on Ephesians. Oh, my. Yeah, right. I I definitely feel poor in comparison. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it was a blessing, but even he he admitted he still has a lot to learn, which is humbling as well. He talks about predestination, and uh, can you talk to us about that, how we look at that as Lutherans, as Christians, and looking at the Word of God? Yeah, I, I would just basically say, uh, looking at the formula of Concord, the solid declaration, we go to Article 11, and uh, one of the things our, our Lutheran forefathers were, were wise enough to at least clarify for us is that whole notion of God's foreknowledge versus eternal election. And uh, mm. this becomes really important as we as we focus on that, because, you know, God, of course, is God. Uh, he's, he sees, he knows everything that's going to happen. But there can be that impression among some that I really have no control. I'm almost, you know, controlled by this. Uh, this uh, I'm like a marionette. I'm like a puppet, and and mm. and he does this sort of thing. And 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 the real important thing here is is God is not a capricious God like the gods of 
Asia Minor at that time, like Artemis, like all the other gods that the people would have been familiar with. He, he is one who, who preordains to salvation, and there is a real focus on that. That's the purpose of our God, and Paul's using it in a very positive way. So we're the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. So he's working it for his glory. He's not working it for your damnation. He's working it for your own glory, and this becomes so important. God is not Joseph Mengele, in other words. I mean, many who know a little bit about history, Joseph Mengele, the Nazi doctor, who at Auschwitz would, with his riding whip, point to the left, point to the right, and, okay, that one's going to go to the gas chambers. That one's going to work. Mm. I think sometimes people have this mistaken impression that God is something like that. He is capricious. And, and so it's really important, I think, for us to focus on that this election, this concept here, is a very positive image here that we're talking to talk. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will, his will for our good. And we see that in Romans. I mean, Paul's not, Paul's not preaching something different there. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those are called mm. according to his purpose. I mean, he's, he's kind of repeating the same things. So he does not contradict himself in this. And it's it's interesting, too, that you say that, because in the formula, it talks about election being for comfort. I mean, it's very explicit in those lang- languages. This is not meant for you to question more. This is for you to know, as it says in verse 4 and 5, in love he predestined you for adoption, not to point you one side or the other, adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to his purpose and will. And that's really important as you're saying that. That uh, Do you have any insight on, like, how did Artemis, uh, how did she kind of see how you're saved or how you pleased her? How, how did that go in that context? I, I don't have that much insight. I mean, as far yeah. as I know, basically, it, it's something similar that you see in these, in these other even Buddhist countries today here. Clearly, it's something that you are giving. You are, you know, there's temple prostitution going on. There, there's always some way in which one has to give more than anything else to gain. It's, it's not as if you are receiving something. You're certainly not receiving comfort, not from someone that powerful there. That's... That's the only thing I could probably say. As you could probably, you know, looking on the verses prior to this, it talks about his grace, which is lavished upon us, um, uh, that he unites all things to him. I mean, this is not a language of, if you do this, then this. Because you hear stories about, like, Buddhist temples and everything, where people are starving on the streets, but there's all this food that's going to waste at the Buddhist temple sitting there, or other objects that these people are not being served at all. So it's just totally, you're not even sure if you're getting this grace. But here's Paul saying, he has adopted you. You are, you are, there is hope. Uh, It's all to his glory, but he lavishes all this grace upon you. So he's the actor, we are the receivers. Any last and thoughts on Galatians those? Four again with the adoption of sons yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just great, and that's what's great too. And I would love to do this, and I would encourage my listeners, our listeners, excuse me, is that uh, I love it when people do projects. So if anybody wants to do a project on the connection of Galatians and Ephesians and the language therein, um, that'd be great. And um, uh, I'll read it on the on the show. I don't know. I love it trying to assign other people to do the work <laughs> because then I don't have to. Anyways, well, and, and that's thoughts. okay. It's it, it's good for us all to be working in that. <laughs> it is. There's a lot of connection there. Any any thoughts? Other thoughts on verses eleven and twelve? 
No, but I, I actually going into 13, you, you kind of, uh, when you're talking about Buddhism, I have a little something that I'd kind of like to add with that. Um, oh, good. So, so let's do 13 we, and 14, and then we'll sure. cover that. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of an inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What do you have for us? Well, also, you know, we kind of see that, you know, we who were the first to hope, of course, in verse 12, you know, we're talking, obviously, those of Jewish background, and now in him, you also, here I'm talking now to you Gentiles, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and here is just wonderful, you hear, hearing comes, faith comes through hearing the word of God, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believing in him, and now you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And I, I think I can quote Dr. Winger also in saying that the sealed really does bring up a, a baptismal image, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Um, of course, we know there was a little issue with Apollos uh, that he was yeah. uh, baptizing, baptizing in the name of John. And, and when Paul came to these, these believers, he said, you know, they had never heard of the Holy Spirit. And so right. Paul rebaptized. I mean, not, we're not claiming that you should do this sort of thing. It was a different time and a different <laughs> understanding. And, and, but but the, the idea here was that, you know, the Holy Spirit, this is part of your sealing as you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I think that to me, the, the real importance of this once again, and here we get into the passive nature. I mean, we go to the catechism. It's, you know, it's not the water that does it, but the word of God in and with the water and the faith trusting the mm. Word of God in the water. It's a faith in God's Word connected to the water. So it's not so much that you are giving or you are assenting to baptism, as I had a good friend of mine who was rebaptized and said that he was very cognizant of his baptism then. And of course, one of my other pastor friends said, what, the first time didn't work? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it, it, it works. It comes from God. It's a, my doctor, uh, my, my mentor, Doctor Kolb, always focused on you know he's coming down to us with this gift. It's for mm -hmm. us. Now, when we contrast that too with what we see in certain countries like Buddhist Burma, I, I bring that up because I was there a year and a half ago, and I remember mm -hmm. going to one of the big temple complexes there. And for Buddhists, you know, water is supposed to symbolize purity, uh, clarity, calmness, and and so they they have these ritual uh, cleansing practices. And if you can find a Buddhist monk, you're supposed to pour it over him. Uh, naturally, I guess a lot of these guys don't want to be all wet. So what they end up doing is pouring it over the statues of Buddha. And so you see that as you go around the complex. And this is how you earn merit, by pouring that water over the Buddha statue. And so here's, here's a different understanding. You are sealed. Here's the passive. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and he is the guarantee of that inheritance then, until you acquire possession of it with the understanding that, you know, you can fall away. It's not once saved, always always saved. You can fall away right. from the faith if you are not living that life of repentance and, and prayer, uh, the Christian basic Christian life. And that is so helpful to think about because in our world, it's all about doing. You know, what, what are you doing for this? What are you doing for that? And, and that was true for the, the, the church in Ephesus, is what are you going to do for God? What are you going to do here? And we naturally just fall into that, where what can I do? Even to the point where you're baptizing God. 
<laughs> or whatever you want to call you, it. Yeah, doing. right. Exactly. <laughs> no, and it's 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 a real comfort as you talk to people around the world who, who who have come to that Christian understanding that that God comes to you in baptism, uh, and and it's His gift to you, and it's not so much that you have to give something to Him. Uh, to me, this is more of an understanding. He is the all-powerful God. I mean, what are you going to give to Him? Right. What can you right. possibly give to Him? Yeah, besides your sin, that's about it. And um, that you can, you know. that we all do. That we all do. <laughs> well, and it's fascinating too because someone could say, "Well, but Jesus got baptized," you know, and then, but the the big difference there is, Jesus got baptized, submitting himself to our level, you know, literally just submitting himself to our level, and then when he's died and risen again, is that he gives this to us as a gift, not to quote please him but to say, I'm going to give you forgiveness of sins, you know, right. um, life and salvation, all these kind of things. Um, this is catechet- catechetical talk. And and what benefits does baptism give? And and it's a reminder that it's all that stuff he's given to us, all the gifts that pours upon our head, literally, and we were sealed. Um, any other thoughts on being sealed? I, I think there's a powerful imagery there. I haven't looked into it much. I was curious if you have any thoughts? No, no, nothing, nothing special on the whole notion of sealing. As far as I know, yeah. that seems to be kind of mysterious. The type of language he's doing there. Uh, I mean, the only thing I can think of in at least some foreign cultures is the seal becomes so important. It's it's kind of something you need on a document, and you have to have that symbol, that seal. Now, whether that applies to that time or era, I couldn't say specifically. Although I wouldn't be surprised if it had that a seal is kind of like. Like, this is an official document. I know in Russia it was they called it the stamp, which literally is like stamp. And you once you put that thing on, now this becomes official, and so you're sealed. It's it's it's, it's if you need to have this document to uh, pay car insurance or something like that, well, you've got it now, and you're you're kind of it's it's almost like that stamp of approval. Right, right, and and so the, the difference is that this seal. Um, and that's why you really can't make a one-to-one with it because it really doesn't work because the seal that we have is not to like close us, you know, to keep us. <laughs> it, it's kind of a branding. I was reading something about that, kind of a branding. Branding the brand would be a good is not, way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the branding shows that you have had forgiveness of sins, rescued from death and the devil, and given eternal salvation to all who believe mm-hmm. this as the words and promises of God declare. I declare. Yeah, <laughs> Just, exactly. you know, it, that's in English. Hopefully other people are learning this in other languages. They, in they are indeed. That we know. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we are at our time to take a break here. Um, We need to take our break. So we are studying Ephesians chapter one with Dr. Matthew Heisey. We will be right back. power with blunt force, but that's not how Jesus uses his power. Dr. Michael Ziegler describes a different kind of strength that's not so obvious at first glance. He presents a picture of God's strength hidden in weakness, suffering, and humility. Learning to see Jesus more clearly this week on The Lutheran Hour. 
Sundays at 12.30 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Peace Lutheran Church at 8 a.m. and Village Lutheran Church at 1040, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 930. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Welcome back. We are studying Ephesians chapter 1 with Dr. Matthew Heisey of uh, Lutheran Heritage Foundation. And as we are looking at our, the, the last verses of chapter 1, we have just finished what's called the Barakah, verses 3 through 14, which begins with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins with a kind of prayer to, to, to thanks be to God, because God had, Dr. Winger says this yesterday, a divine action had happened among the Ephesians and of Paul, and he wanted to give thanks to God and a prayer for them. So really, it's almost like one run-on sentence. And now we get to thanksgiving, that he is giving thanks for them. Why? Not because they are such great people, but because of faith and the work of love among the saints. So let's continue on, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in our prayers. So Paul, Paul had been in Ephesus, uh, mm-hmm. and can you speak to that, uh, Dr. Heisey? Well, we know that he'd been there briefly in chapter 18 and then and took off, and he said if the Lord would have me come back, he would do that. And, and then, of course, now we know he'd been there, and we get into chapter 19, and then we see that Paul you know, first goes to the synagogues, and uh, certainly he's teaching there for uh, a period of few, a few months there. And then after that, all of a sudden, uh, you know, he, he ends up going into the, this so-called Hall of Tyrannus, uh, and, and then he goes on for two years from, uh, interestingly enough, I was looking at William Ramsey, the uh, famed uh, Scottish archaeologist uh, who has a, a, a St. Paul the Traveler a companion guide that he, he, his story is a fascinating story because he was uh, trained in the uh, biblical schools of higher criticism in the 19th century. And uh, as he began to do these archaeological uh, expeditions there to Asia Minor, he began to open up the book of Acts, and he said, wow, Luke, Luke, Luke is really talking about real things here. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, from all indications, he became a believer because he saw that, you know, the scripture was, was, was accurate, and what, what he was doing was, was, was literally writing true history. And uh, so he has an interesting take on this Hall of Tyrannus. Uh, apparently, it had been used in the mornings 
for as a lecture hall. And uh, so Paul would be working, probably uh, doing his tent making in the morning, and then afternoon it's open, basically. So Paul comes in there, and then, then he has that opportunity to, obviously, for a couple of years, he's, he's teaching there. Jews and Greeks are hearing the word of the Lord while Paul is there. And uh, re- really, I think, as we, as we look at that, you know, it seems that he clearly knows them. So, you know, I've heard of your faith in the Lord. It's, it's you know, you have those different interpretations. Is this really a general letter because of the question of mm-hmm. some manuscripts don't have in Ephesus at the beginning? And are we talking about churches of Colossae, Hierapolis, others in the surrounding area? Um, but I think you, you can also just kind of, you know, we, we like to read things the way we look at them. And it could just literally being, I've heard of your faith being kind of a recounting because we know Paul then is away and he's away for a while. He's in prison. So it's, it's just maybe once again, I've heard of your faith. Obviously new people are coming to faith too. Um, so uh, I, I think Paul's probably just giving a general impression that, you know, having heard of your faith here, um, I, 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 I thank the Lord for, for uh, you and I remember you in my prayers. Right. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in right. my prayers. I, I love that without ceasing language that Paul will use. Um, and, and it's, it's a faith, it's a faith statement. I, you know, we, we are, um, uh, we, we lost a, a, a young man in our congregation recently. And it's, it's always, sometimes I've, I've seen this idea of prayer and sometimes we'll say, I'm praying for you as kind of uh, you know, you're just, it's just kind of a nice thing to say. But the more I've known people, I've been here now 10 and a half years that most people I know that say it, they're doing it. You know, this mm-hmm. is not Paul saying, well, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm praying for you. Kind of like a passing mm-hmm. statement, but people of faith are praying for one another and he's heard of God's work there he's given thanks to the Lord for this and he's also bringing him to the feet of Jesus in prayer any other thoughts on those two verses well just just a, to me it's just a wonderful pastoral notion understanding that you know here Paul is kind of their spiritual leader and 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 he's he's remembering them he's remembering of them in his prayers he is praying for them continually I mean it 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 forces me to to once again think about all the folks that we work with around the world too, and and to continue to keep them in our prayers uh, because they face certainly lots of difficult situations. Our guy in Burma right now, I mean, they've had a military coup there, and he has diabetes problems too, as it is, and and they stone Christians there, you know, and 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 this is. This has to be more than just words. You have to remember. Remember them in your prayers. Pray for them continually. Absolutely. It's an encouragement to me and an admonishment as well. It is. It really, it truly is, yes. So let's let's move on here um, to, let's do 17 and 18. This this is a difficult part where to figure out where to cut it off because it literally is. Oh, yeah. 15 no, through 23 <laughs> is one sentence, a lot of commas. I don't know if it's comma splices or what it is, but it's a lot yeah. of commas. So but we'll get through it as Paul uh, literally is preaching here. Um, 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. 
Mm-hmm. So and then the third part is that immeasurable greatness, but we'll we'll hold off there too. Right, yeah. I know, I know, I want to go there too, but let's let's just uh, hang yeah. on to this for the moment and see sure, what, sure. what happens here. What are your thoughts on these verses? Well, I mean, here once again, you know, the the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who raised him from the dead, the Father of glory, and I'm thinking of some of these things, glory doxa in the in the Greek, being kind of almost like this personal acclaim, but. Um, talking about a man's fame. But here, you know, the Father of Glory, we just went through Transfiguration Sunday, and I think Mm -hmm. of the the glory, the power that uh, the Son of God showed to Peter and John and James with the just knocked them off their feet, literally, you know, a holiness and unapproachable light, uh, which his son, of course, shares and uh, but yet comes close to us in his incarnation. It's just a, a marvelous thing. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and that he gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Uh, as I understand it, it's the only place in the New Testament where wisdom, revelation, and knowledge are united here. And oh. as I look at those words, I contrast them with what the Ephesians would have heard in the pagan world, you know, false concepts of wisdom and revelation and knowledge, Gnosticism, um, mm-hmm. Aristotle, of course, defining Sophia wisdom as just kind of the knowledge of the most precious things. And we know what Luther said about Aristotle's, but the rubbish of Adam. So <laughs> this, this, this understanding is different and it is kind of more of a head knowledge. Uh, but Paul speaks differently in Corinthians. You know, we we know, of course, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We read that throughout the scriptures. And then in 1 Corinthians 2.1, he says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed Mm -hmm. to you the testimony about God. So this is a, a... speaking a message of wisdom among the mature, mature, not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing but God's wisdom, a mystery that's hidden and that God destined for our glory once again before time began. So this is just, it's a different understanding of wisdom. It's a fear of God kind of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And we contrast that with the knowledge of uh, I hate to say it, I often think of, of university professors in Romans 1, yeah. <laughs> professing yeah. themselves to be wise, they became fools. You know, it's, right. it, there, there is that complete different understanding of what wisdom is. And uh, so I, when he uses this, I think it just, I get that impression that Paul is saying, hey, this is not the wisdom of the world that you see around you. It's a greater wisdom, and that will lead ultimately to a wisdom of the one who is above all. And this brings us back to uh, Acts, when he's sp- uh, to speaking to, is it Athens, where he says, I, I, you, yeah. even have a, uh, you even have an altar to the unknown God. Like right. you, 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 you know, you are very religious, um, mm-hmm. and and it's very much so here that Paul has a very clear Trinitarian confession of faith here, and Doctor Winger talked about it being in the first, uh, see verses three through five, speaking about that he has a very not only high Christology, but he has a very clear confession of faith. And he has to, because he's hanging out as a tent maker. He's hanging out where there's multiple ideologies and religions all over the place. And so he is confessing, not only to give thanks to you, but here's what you believe in. I mean, this is this is powerful stuff. I guess this is the part where I kind of read it, and I'm just like, okay, let's get to chapter two. I mean, let's get to the, you know, you say yeah. by grace through faith. Let's get to this right now. Wow. 
proclaiming the fullness of God and the beauty of, of the Trinitarian God that we have and the gifts that he gives to us. Any other thoughts here? And it's, it's just something that, you know, we don't live in Ephesus uh, for a century, but it's not all that different in some ways. Uh, the way people understand wisdom, of course, mock uh, the wisdom of, of Scripture. And, and Paul's telling us they're going to they're going to look at it this way because they don't first they don't have the fear of God. But there's there's this notion, of course, that um, the people of this age, they have a different concept. And God's wisdom, of course, is made perfect in weakness. We, we understand uh, the world understands power. Artemis, there she is in, in this huge temple. This is power. And yet here you have this weak God who's crucified in comparison. It doesn't make as much sense. To that world, and only by the power of the Holy Spirit do you see that. Of course, uh, I love Richard Baucom's book, God Crucified. I mean, it really yeah. clarifies God being crucified, and uh, that's something the world can't quite understand. Absolutely. And it, and it connects us once again to catechetical talk here in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. I, I can't help but think about the third article. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe, strength. In, Jesus believe in Jesus my Christ Lord. my Lord or come to him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're call me by the gospel. Light. Oh, this is wonderful. And, and, and this is, I love it, the eyes of are your hearts to be enlightened. I just think that's interesting because that connects us to faith. You know, we can use heart language in very weird ways, but here he's definitely <laughs> speaking about faith, about the hope that you were called to. And just thinking about how we need hope. He's called us to hope. This is something he not uh, he gives to us. Not um, It's not a hope of, boy, I hope I get saved, but it's the hope that you mm -hmm. are saved. I mean, this is <laughs> this is blind optimism. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, it's right there to... in front of you. It's right in front of you. Absolutely. Yeah. Any other thoughts before we move on to nineteen? Like you said, there's good stuff in nineteen. Oh yeah. Well, we but let's let's move on there because I, I know right. our, our time's running here a little. Yep. 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 So let's do. Uh, let's do. Ah, let's just do nineteen, and we'll keep going. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Uh, I'm just gonna keep going that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So tell me about this immeasurable greatness. Immeasurable greatness, surpassing greatness. Uh, this is where they have the, the word megathos, and uh, it, mm -hmm. it kind of illustrates a power that God also has over the demonic world. Um, you know, we certainly see that with Jesus in the New Testament, as the, the demons, uh, you know, of, of course, uh, are obedient to him. It's this surpassing greatness. This is a power greater than Artemis. And, and, and I kind of like to focus on it, too, as being not just an impersonal force or power, like we see in Asian religions, or in just some general philosophy. I recall a conversation I had with a young man on a Russian train, Russian trains, uh, when we were going out to the Ural Mountains, you got like uh, compartments of four, and uh, just the two of us were in there, and he was on one of the upper bunks and I was on the lower bunk, and we began speaking about faith, and, and his understanding of God was as a force, some, some kind of power and force there too. So, okay, it's a power, but it's not a personal force, and this is why you know, in the, in the Asian world and the, with the demons around. And I, I think of my colleague, Pastor Ted Natalong, who uh, manages our work in Southeast Asia. He grew up a Buddhist 
and uh, uh, the fear of the spirit world was 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 ever present. Uh, Ted's a 1990 Concordia Seminary graduate and uh, uh, serves us now for many many years in that area of the world. But he has a unique perspective in growing up a Buddhist because I know I often hear you know people say oh Buddhism is 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 this religion of peace and he says no it isn't. He says well we're always afraid. We are afraid and and when you see the power around you, you fear that, but hear this, hear this, the surpassing greatness of his power. That is, that is, that is incredible. Uh, and, and toward us who believe according to the working of his might, and it's so great a power that Christ is raised from the dead. And that, that is remarkable. That is something that these other religions can't do. Jesus is raised from the dead, the working of his strength. And, and, and as we think of this, too, I mean, remember, Paul's writing this from prison. He's, yeah. not, he's a prisoner. And, and to me, there's that, once again, that passive nature that God is going to work through Paul, even when he's in prison, because through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's writing this letter to the Ephesians that this God has this remarkable might and power that he worked in Christ. He raised him from the dead. And I might be in prison, but I'm, I'm, I'm not bound. And his mm. word is not bound. Yeah. Now you speak here a little bit about this immeasurable greatness and power being an important thing in Russia um, in that time throughout history. Why is it important that God has the ultimate power when you, when you speak to in missions in Russia and other parts of the world? Well, I think, you know, there, there was uh, obviously, especially in the era of Stalin, I have to admit, and I'm, I'm writing a book on this now. It's my doctoral dissertation, uh, which oh. uh, Lexham Press uh, um, is going to be printing this year, thankfully. Nice. And uh, it, uh, I, I do detail the story of uh, Pastor Kurt Mus, who was um, an ethnic German in Russia, uh, spoke fluent Russian, and uh, uh, began to prepare his catechism students in the 20s for what was coming. He saw what was coming, and he saw how things were changing. The spirit of the times was atheism was now beginning to to become uh, preeminent in, in the country, and especially when Stalin took over um, in uh, 1928. Uh, a year later, he passed a law, uh, April 8, 1929, uh, banning Sunday school teaching. Uh, in the church. And so uh, this pastor, along with another pastor, friend of his said, you know, we, we, we have to stand up against this. Um, we, we have to prepare students for what's coming here. And so they divided students up in apartments and actually uh, began to teach until the uh, Christmas time, 1929, they were arrested. Uh, he was ultimately executed in 1937, but his students never forgot that. And, and one of the things he said is God is in charge of time. His time clock doesn't stop. He says, you know, they may have a five-year plan. And of course, Stalin uh, was re rebuilding Russia with these great grandiose industrialization projects. And so they would have these five-year plans. And of course, included in that five-year plan was to destroy the church. And, and so here, in the power of the almighty state, you know, people began to abandon the church. And it, it was Lutheran Church was dead by 1938. Uh, it was gone underground, I should say. Uh, but everything uh, above ground was, was destroyed. Pastors were executed or sent to gulag concentration camps. And yet in the 1990s, all this 
changes. You know, it's it's God's time. And, you know, that promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church in the world, it looks sometimes like, wow, you Christians are done. And we think mm-hmm. that, too, sometimes. I think we look today and oh. we say, oh, the younger generation's falling from the faith. Uh, that should encourage us to, as, as Pastor Moose did, to continue to teach and prepare them that, hey, you're going to have to be able to speak of your faith and defend your faith, because the world's going to speak differently. Uh, mm-hmm. But who's working in us? Christ. Christ. And he is raised from the dead, and he's at the right hand in the heavenly places. I mean, he is in all power and authority. The world doesn't see that now, but it will one day. And certainly within the church, even if the church is broken to some extent, he works through the word, he works through the sacraments, and we see that. So it's not as if we're, we're, we're becoming Christians so that somehow we can become influential. This isn't fourth century uh, Roman Empire. Yeah, yeah right. Right. It's about truth and finding hope um, and clinging to that hope, no matter what power seems to be above us. It is Christ who has all the power. It's, it's interesting, too, in verse 20, and you speak to this a little bit, is it brings up the, the two states of Christ, his state of humiliation and his state of exaltation. Can you unpack right. that for us? Well, just that, that whole notion of uh, that, that Christ, of course, uh, laid aside his, his, his divine power when he was on earth. We saw, of course, examples of that when he uh, performed miracles. But, but on the whole, we, you know, even this last Sunday, when we see Transfiguration Sunday, this is the real Jesus that Paul, or Peter and uh, John and James literally just fall to the ground uh, because of his great power and authority. He lays that aside, and he dies on the cross, and yet now the state of exaltation comes. Uh, in his being seated at the right hand, of course, not a location. Uh, I mean, that's that's fairly clear. Interestingly enough, we, we do uh, understand that, I guess, in those those days as well, there was this impression that uh, the gods would be on the right hand of uh, of another type of god. So there was this this understanding, at least the right hand uh, per se. But uh, with with Jesus here, it's it's a, it's a greater thing that he is not just kind of over on the side. He's he's exercising that authority in his divine and human nature. And that's and that, that's that's a good segue, I think, to the, the end of our verses here. We have about eight minutes left here, uh, Doctor Heisey, and and it's really these last verses are so important for us to understand that we often will talk about Jesus, his teaching, his state of humiliation, but now we see his state of exaltation and the power he has even above Artemis. So let's read verses twenty-one to twenty-three. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what is it, what is it telling us about Jesus here? There's a lot there, but what is it saying? Well, um, it, it literally says that he is that authority that will be above this 225-foot uh, wonder of the world, 
which will ultimately crumble into dust, but his kingdom will not. He's above all rule, authority, power, dominion. I mean, this is, once again, if you're, your listeners also want to make that connection, Philippians 2, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. Uh, that, that is really something uh, worth unpacking, not only in this age, but the age to come. Because uh, when we go back to Ephesus, we see there are those sons of Siva who, um, mm-hmm. and, and there was this understanding that uh, Artemis, of course, had, uh, you know, there was power in this name. So somehow, uh, apparently, they believed that they could use the name of Jesus. And almost like a mantra of sorts. And, 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 and I just love the response of the evil spirit to them. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? Who are you? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> who are you? And, and then, of course, uh, the spirit leaps upon them. And, 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 and everybody is really uh, amazed. Fear comes on them. Jesus is extolled because they realize, okay, this isn't just a name or a mantra that you throw out. Uh, this is, he is literally the name above all names, and you can't use him or manipulate his name for your own benefit, for your own uh, uh, fame or acclaim, whatever uh, their intention was, or perhaps for monetary gain. Uh, mm-hmm. Jesus is God himself, very God of very God. You can't use his name in vain like that. Uh, we do have a second commandment that reminds us of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that his, he's above all things. And this is important for us to know nowadays, because like you said, we can kind of get down on things where what's the call? It's the call, the same thing for the, the pastor in Russia in the 1920s, the same for us today, is to teach and preach and give people the truth, because it is the Lord who has everything under his feet. Now, he says that in verses 22 and 23, all things under his feet, and he speaks about the body of Christ. How do we connect all these things? We have about five minutes left. Okay. Well, certainly, um, I, I think of Psalm 8, when I, when I think of those things, you've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, everything literally is, is under his feet, under his authority now. And uh, using that phrase, that Psalm 8 just comes immediately to mm-hmm. mind. But then, of course, he is head over all things to the church. Uh, oftentimes, I, I, I certainly run into uh, a, a lot of folks who are, are disillusioned by the church and, and, and see, of course, the, the failings of pastors, of parishioners, of others there. And it's, it's kind of an easy excuse to kind of say that, okay, well, the church is imperfect. Uh, therefore, uh, I, I really don't want to have anything to do with the church. Here, Christ is head over the church here. It's his body. And, and he knows, of course, our weakness. That's why we need his gifts. That's why we need uh, his body and blood. That's why we need to repent continually. Um, so he is still the head of it. It's, it's not a pope. It's not a president. It's not a, uh, a bishop uh, of some sort. Ultimately, Christ is the head of that. And, and knowing that here is a God who, who loves us so much that he sends his son to die for us, to become one of us. This is so foreign to the pagan world. I think it's so foreign to our world. Mm-hmm. And yet the mm-hmm. world and all that is in it are nothing, nothing in comparison to him. And maybe with that knowledge, too, then they understand that they don't have to always fear the world. Um, because this is uh, an understanding that we are indeed part of this great body 
imperfect as it may be, yet God works his gifts through it. And this is... uh always important to us. We had, I, I, I coached track at the at the public high school here in Sartell, and uh, we had a head coach here who has since retired, but he's a very good Christian man. I remember he spoke to me once about his struggles at his Baptist church, and something that struck me, and it's, it's, a, it's a word we should always continually say, he said, you know, we've had this, we've had this, but he said, this is not our church, this is Jesus's church, and he's going to take care of us. And he used definitely language from this passage to remind me, <laughs> the, the pastor, you know, this is God's church, not ours. And, that, and that's so important as you look at what all is happening in our world to remind her that if they can see that 225-foot uh, 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 statue or, or building, all this, and say the Lord is still above that, we are able to say that in our world today. Dr. Heisey, we have about a minute left here. Give us a, a well, how would you describe these verses today, or how would you uh, proclaim the truth that it tells? I, w- I would just say Paul, Paul is, is, is really speaking in a positive way. He's just kind of telling people how things are. You know, what mm. they see around them ultimately isn't the reality. It's not the reality because there is a God who is above all these things. He is a God who loves us. He is a God who sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. And, and so even though we may see images like a statue of Lenin or uh, a temple of Artemis, where are they today, ultimately? They're, they right. they crumble into the dust, and, and all the, uh, the plans of man ultimately crumble into dust. And so we need not fear the world, although it can certainly take our, our body, it cannot take our soul. And so Paul tells them, hey, you are part of this great church, and, and he'll go into the next chapter and talk about Jew and Gentile. But it's a great message that we also try to proclaim to all those 90 countries where we're working, you know, because sometimes they look at us like, oh, you're such mature spiritual Christians. And we say, you are part of something great, especially when they're a minority within a country. Dr. Matthew Heisey, Executive Director of Lutheran Heritage Foundation in Macomb, Michigan, helping us to be strengthened by God's Word in Ephesians. Dr. Heisey, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Pastor Fenner. My, my, my pleasure. Saints of our Lord, we are ones who will follow our Savior, who is above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age that is yet to come. Our Lord has risen, and he is the head of the church. Live in that confidence, live in that joy, and rest in his peace. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. Thank you.